22 million people are enslaved, trapped, and heading towards a destiny of destruction with no idea how to change their course. They are bound by the chains of their idol tree. They are behind the bars of their self-effort. They are beaten and bruised by the rod of their rituals. They are thirsty. They are hungry. Yet nothing seems to satisfy. himself as one that is a fountain of everlasting life, a fountain that will quench one's thirst forever. The one that Jesus introduced himself to that day found life. You and I, we found life, but what about them? What about the majority of Sri Lankans that haven't? They won't, unless someone tells them. It is Soren's calling and his one desire to introduce Jesus Christ to the 22 million Sri Lankans who don't know him, to tell them about the one who can satisfy every longing, break every chain, and free every slave, to tell them about the one who didn't come to condemn them, but to seek them and to save them, to tell them about the one who loves them so much, he died to prove it. His desire is to continue the ministry in Sri Lanka, to see the nation not only one for Christ, but to lead the church to win souls for Christ, who, by God's grace, will be surrendered, called and trained to serve Him in every corner of Sri Lanka and around the world. There's so much to be done, but He needs you. Sri Lanka needs you. Consider praying for his mission. You can be a vital part of what the Lord is doing by simply praying for God to do an incredible work. Pray that his power would transform Sri Lanka for the sake of the gospel. Additionally, please consider giving. Your monthly contribution towards Christ's work in Sri Lanka will exemplify the faith that is necessary to see these souls of Sri Lanka come to Christ. Unite with us to see the transformation of an entire nation for Christ. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be here tonight and to uh, 
to present to you what the Lord wants to do in that country you just heard about. Thank you, Pastor White, as well, for the opportunity. And it's an honor to be here tonight. It's an honor to be here um, as well with the Policians and um, get to get to meet them and, and present alongside them. So um, thank you very much. To those of you who have been saved for any length of time, you know how significant Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection was to those of us that are saved now. And right after that event took place, among his first words to us, to his followers there, were to go. He told them to go and to preach and to teach all nations. And Sri Lanka, it's one of those nations, it's a nation that... Um, that, that was controlled by kingdoms and then the Portuguese, the British, and the Dutch. But in 1972, it assumed the status of a republic. And not long after that, in 1983, the nation broke out into a civil war that lasted over 25 years. And it's a civil war that, that completely tore the country apart. And the atrocity that took place was censored for the most part by the government from the media. And so you and I really have not grasped what that country has really gone through. And then as you know, in 2004, December 26, the tsunami hit the island of Sri Lanka from an earthquake that took place in the Indian Ocean. And in a matter of minutes, along with the homes and the buildings and the, the, the infrastructure that had obliterated, 30,000 people in Sri Lanka were killed. And so it's a nation that's not really surprised by the suffering that comes their way. But as you and I sit in a church on a Wednesday night and we're privileged to be under the preaching of God's Word and understand all of that, you know that their biggest source of affliction and suffering doesn't just come from the, the physical suffering that they go through. It comes from their spiritual state because 70.2% of Sri Lankans identify themselves as Buddhists. 12.6% identify themselves as Hindus. 9.7 of them are given to Islam, 6.1 to Roman Catholicism. And if you do the math this evening, that leaves us with 1.4% of a nation that identifies themselves as everything else, whether it be those that don't believe in anything or those that believe what you and I believe, Bible-believing Christians, 1.4%. And I stand here tonight to tell you that the, the fact that 98.6% of an entire nation heading towards an eternity without God and without the chance to even hear about that God is something that needs to change. A little bit about me, I finished high school in Sydney, Australia where I live. And following my graduation in high school, the Lord led me to West Coast Baptist College in California. And I went originally for one year, um, just giving the Lord a chance to work in my life. And he, he certainly did in October of 2014, uh, after a chapel message that one of my teachers at college preached. Uh, he made it clear that he wanted me to stay for four years at college because that day he called me to ministry. And the preacher was preaching from Luke 4 about Jesus' ministry and about his purpose, his passion, his place. And the Lord really used that message to call me specifically to the island of Sri Lanka. I graduated a few years later, 2017, in May 2017. And following my graduation, the Lord used scripture and counsel and a desire in my heart to um, head over to Sri Lanka for six months and intern there. 
under an American missionary that's been there for 27 years. And I did that for six months, and um, he really put me in some hot water with preaching and teaching and traveling around the country evangelizing. And those six months, I was able to see, um, through the Lord's working, 130 salvations. And um, just all of that together really put a desire and a burden in my heart that has not died and I pray would never die for the island of Sri Lanka. And so the Lord has made it clear through, once again, counsel and scripture and a desire that He's put in my heart to head back there full-time and serve there on the island of Sri Lanka. Because those millions, some of which you saw pictures of tonight, they're not a mere statistic. In those millions, we would see tea pluckers on the side of their mountain plucking tea to earn a dollar or two a day, which is not enough to even feed their family that evening. We'd see the 16 or the 66-year-old young person, a 16 or 66-year-old young person and an elderly person walking along the streets of the capital city, uh, Buddhist monks in their orange robe and, and wearing a grim face because they're misleading others only because they themselves are, be, are being misled. We'd see the elderly lady dragging her teenage grandson to, to the statue, uh, some of the pictures you saw there, to bow down and worship to something so faithfully that cannot hear and cannot save them. I remember during the internship, we took a trip to the north of Sri Lanka, which has just been opened up uh, since the end of the Civil War. And we went as far as we could by car to the, to the north there and then left the, left the van we were driving in and took a boat to a few islands off of the mainland, which to the best of our knowledge has not received the go- had not received the gospel up to that point. And as we walked through some of the alleyways there, um, we were just getting to meet some of the people, hand out some gospel tracts, and, and speak to them as best we could. But I looked down and I saw three kids, and um, they are taking some mud and some water, and they were sculpting something with their hands, and I thought they were playing at first. But as we uh, continued to watch them, they, they sculpted something with their hands, only to bow down to worship them as their own gods there. And they just have no idea about the one true God you and I serve. And so that's really what we see in the midst of those statistics. What do you do? What do you do when an entire nation is sending its citizens to hell by the minute and there's no one to tell them? What are we supposed to think about 22 million souls that just have no way of hearing? I don't have the answer to that question, but I believe the Bible does it as it has the answer to so many questions when it tells us there to go ye therefore. Uh, That's God's pattern. That's the commission that He's given you and the commission that He's given me. And so I just stand here before you tonight to simply tell you that's, that's what God's told me to do, to go. Pastor Andrew, I mentioned him earlier. He's an American missionary in Sri Lanka. He's been there for 27 years now in that island. And the, desperate, the, the ministry there is in desperate need of laborers. And so he's afforded me the opportunity to come in there alongside of him and serve under him as I, as I start off there, um, under his leadership. And I'll, I'll be serving as his associate there, teaching, preaching, evangelizing, um, being a part of the college, the, the institute. My long-term mission there is to just continue the work in the, in the capital city and be a part of the mission works around the country. And to see that island... Um, have churches that, that see people saved, souls that are saved, souls that are surrendered, 
souls that can be called and then trained to serve him around that country and around the world. And so that's what the Lord is calling me to do. And um, the people there, they're so opposed to the gospel and leadership. They're so opposed to the truth, but there's so many people that are just receptive and ready to hear. It's amazing. You go and you hold a neighborhood Bible club for children who understand and, and you go and preach the gospel and you can do three or four of these in a day and at each of them, 35, 40 children will be saved and, and they, they understand, they believe it and they're just ready to hear, they're ready to be saved. And so I share all of this with you as I believe that God has commissioned us to be part of missions and I'm so encouraged as I just walked into your church auditorium. You're, you're part of soul winning here in your own area and then in your country. And then to see so many missionaries on the wall here that you support, it just shows how, how much of a priority you put on that. And so I, it's an honor for me to be here and ask if you would just partner with me in prayer. And just pray for what the Lord is doing, that His power would be evident in that island as we seek to transform it for the sake of Christ. My prayer cards are at the, the back there and on them is a, is a website. And if you take the time to visit the website, there's a lot more information about the ministry and, and the, the plans, the goals, some pictures, videos. And um, if you'd leave your name and your email address, I'd love to correspond with you and keep you updated what the Lord is doing there and, um, and help you see what your prayers are accomplishing there in Sri Lanka. Uh, I'll be eternally grateful for your partnership and prayer and support. And I'm, and I'm thankful once again for you, Pastor White, for giving me the opportunity. Thank you. Good evening. So good to be here tonight. I, uh, I was encouraged by seeing that. Uh, in, uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, uh, Luke says, um, Former things I've written to thee unto uh, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And it's good. We have this Bible. That ought to be enough. But when we see God's uh, work and God, God's spirit working out in somebody else's life, that does my heart good. That testimony should do our heart good. So I, I, I always get excited meeting other missionaries and just seeing what God's doing elsewhere. So I, uh, I'm from, uh, I was born in Calgary. My wife was born in uh, Milton, Ontario. Uh, our ascending church is Pemina Valley Baptist Church. Uh, and uh, we're sent through Canamera. And I, before I go any further, I want to thank your pastor and you guys for being kind to us. Uh, you've put us up in a very nice place. We've got a nice selection of teas to choose from, and it's very close by, and we're grateful for that. So thanks for being so kind to us. Uh, our family's called to the country of Uruguay. Our children were supposed to be here, but a last-minute opportunity came up for them to serve up north. And that's, uh, that's where they're, uh, they are today, up at a Bible camp. So they're, they're spending their first time away from mom and dad for two and a half weeks. And, and uh, so I just praise the Lord for them being able to serve. Uh, we were all born and raised in Canada. Spanish is my first language. My dad is Uruguayan. My mom is Argentine. Si hablan español, sería un bendición poder hablar con ustedes después. And I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home and having a Sunday school teacher uh, lead me to the Lord. Uh, my wife got saved in 1999. Uh, I led her to the Lord, and just about a year later, we got saved. So that discipleship program doesn't work for everybody, but uh, seemed to work for us. So God first worked in our lives about serving the Lord in 2006, separately and just through separate prayer. And then over time, uh, God made it very clear that He wanted us to be missionaries. Uh, we didn't exactly know what that meant and where that meant, but we just kept. Seeking God's guidance. I, uh, I had a good job in northern Alberta, and uh, God opened the door for us to go on a survey trip first in 2009. Uh, the, our family of four went down for two months, 
And God didn't show us exactly where we were supposed to serve, but I sure was burdened for a city called Salto in the uh, northern part of Argentina. It's the second biggest city in the country, it, uh, and it's dark to the gospel. As far as I know, it's never had an independent Baptist church uh, there. Uh, the, the northern part of the country is hundreds of thousands of people that have never heard the gospel there. Uh, Uruguay is very secular. 44% of the population claim no religion at all. I believe 46 claim Roman Catholicism, but they're very nominal. They'll mix that in with all kind of uh, paganism and witchcraft and things like that. And 2% of the population claim to be Christian. And because of that lack of biblical teaching, Uruguay was the second country in Latin America to legalize same-sex marriage, to legalize abortion, and the first country in the world to legalize marijuana. And they're also the country with the highest suicide rates in Latin America. So there's people in this world who say, if you, you know, even people in our, polit in our politics will say, if you just did away with morality and did away with laws, then we'd all be happy. But the result is people realize they're hopeless. And that's what's happened in Uruguay. Those people need Christ. And that's all we want to do down there. Uh, we were down there for um, a month in 2016. I was able to preach 11 times in two weeks. And I praise the Lord for that. And this video is really just answers to prayer that God gave us on that last trip. Salto is the second largest city in the country and shares a border with Argentina. This photo was taken from Salto, looking across the river to Concordia, Argentina. 300,000 people live along this area of the border. This past year, God allowed us to go on another survey and preaching trip. We wanted to spend another month in Uruguay, with the majority of our time concentrated on the northern part of the country especially the city of Salto. We booked plane tickets six months in advance, praying that God would lead and guide our plans. I called every pastor and missionary I knew in the country to see if there were any contacts in Salto, but no one knew of anyone in the interior. One month before our departure, I received a phone call from a missionary in southern Uruguay. He told me that I should contact an independent Baptist pastor in the capital city of Argentina. Pastor Hector Catani had been pastoring in Argentina for 26 years, but was originally born in Salto. Apart from pastoring in Argentina, he would sometimes travel to his home city to encourage a small group of believers in the city. My family and I landed in Buenos Aires, Argentina, where I preached Brother Catani's churches 26th anniversary conference. During the conference, several of the believers from Salto took a seven-hour bus ride to meet our family and then escort us back to Uruguay. We spent a lot of time with the believers while in Salto. It was during this time we learned that the men of the group had been fasting and praying every Wednesday for the last two years for someone to come to their city and start a church. Not only were these people an answer to our prayers, we were an answer to theirs as well. Before our trip, we wrote down many prayer requests. One of them was to see a soul saved. The lady on the bottom right, Mercedes, accepted Christ as her personal savior with me one night. I'm very thankful for a God that answers prayers. The people were so excited we were there that they asked for preaching Tuesday, Wednesday, 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and all day on Sunday, and then again the following week. We advertise the meetings on the local radio and television stations, as well as in the newspaper. This is a picture of our first Sunday, with 23 people in attendance. On our second Sunday, we had over 30 come out. We were able to do some public witnessing while we were there, and hand out many tracts. Here's some footage of the city. The city market is within walking distance from where we stayed. It is a great place to set up a booth and street preach. The plazas are only a few blocks in the other direction. There are also great places to do public evangelization. There are opportunities here as the people are open to talk about their eternal destiny, even if they are Catholic or atheist. Because Salto is the largest city in the interior, it is a great central location from which to branch out. During our stay, we rented a car to see the interior and north of the country. There are hundreds of thousands of souls in the north in need of the gospel. It is our vision to see this entire part of Uruguay evangelized as we reach into the neighboring countries of Argentina and Brazil. God gave us many answers to prayer regarding His will and direction for our ministry in Uruguay. One of our prayer requests was a building to hold meetings in. Another was a place to stay free of charge. God answered both of our requests in these buildings. They are centrally located off of Main Street and are easy access from any area of the city. The original church was founded in the 1940s by an Argentine missionary who lived and labored in Salto for over 50 years. There was a time when the church was vibrant and full to overflowing. After the death of the pastor in 1997, the church congregation dwindled and eventually shut its doors. The buildings have since become quite run down and are in need of serious repairs. Over the last several years we have had 12 specific prayer requests for a home and church building in Salto. These buildings we stayed in were an answer to all 12 of those requests. Uruguay has a very strong separation of church and state law. As a result, Uruguayan laws state that church buildings cannot be turned into anything other than church buildings. The church building has sat empty and the denomination who owns it no longer wants the burden of owning it. God has given empty church buildings such as the one pictured here to other missionaries in the country and I believe he wants to do that for us with this building in Salto. We believe we stayed where God wants us to live when we moved to Uruguay. Another special thing the Lord did while we were in Salto was show us personal connections to the city that I never knew existed. My father is Uruguayan. Sixty years ago he lived in the city of Salto. The man here on the left is from the small group of believers we were meeting with. He recognized our family name, so he took out the old church records and discovered my aunt was baptized in that building. He also remembered going with the original pastor to my grandfather's farm to hold evangelistic meetings. It was amazing to hear about connections to family members that I have never had the pleasure of meeting. When I went to do business in the city, strangers would ask my name and then tell me about how they knew my parents. Again, none of my family has lived there for over 60 years and the city center has over 100,000 people. God did that to show me that all along he has been preparing a place for us to serve in Uruguay.
We have a God that answers prayer. We didn't know any of those things before we went down. Uh, my, uh, my grandfather emigrated from Ukraine and ended up in Uruguay. He was a cotton farmer. And uh, he had a, uh, the way they used to pick cotton years ago is you'd get a bunch of temporary workers and they'd pick cotton for you and then you, they, you'd weigh their bags and you'd pay them. And so people would come from, you know, they, they'd, they'd be busy for a season. And my grandfather had a, uh, like, a, like a boarding house where all the workers would come. And he had a burden. He got saved in Uruguay. He, uh, he left the Ukraine as a lost man and, and uh, it was a long story there. But he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in South America. And he had a burden to see those, those men that would come and work in his fields get saved. So he would call that pastor and say, would you come to our boarding house and preach to these men? And he would. And I just praise the Lord for that. that. Another interesting bit of information I found out. That pastor built a church of over 300 people. He never owned anything but a bicycle. You know, God, uh, God uses unlikely people and unlikely things to do great things. And I just praise the Lord for that, that he uses simple people. He uses simple means. I just think of the original church when reading the book of Acts. In 70 years, they reached the known world. No cell phones, no combustion engines, no uh, travel agents. They did that. They did that because we have a great God. We still have a great God. And so if God will do anything, he won't do it because he looks down at me or he looks down at you and says, oh, I, man, I, I'm sure I'm stuck because I don't have that person serving me. You know, the Lord doesn't understand what I'm saying here. God's almighty. He, he never looks down at you or I and says, you know, I wish I had more money. Could you, could you help me out? The Lord doesn't ever say that I wish I was stronger so I could do that. The Lord changed the world through a simple group of people. And the Lord today still wants to change the world through a simple group of people. And uh, I'm so excited to be serving the Lord. I've, I've met some people in the past who feel sorry for missionaries. We've been, uh, we've been in Uruguay for four months. We are so excited. We, we would sit across, uh, you know, our family would sit after praying a good prayer for my life. And I would encourage I would encourage some people to pray this as well. God, I'd like to know your will, but would you make it so clear that somebody as simple as me can't miss it? Lord, I want to do your will. I don't always see it, but I'd like to see it. And you, the Lord made it abundantly clear to our family what he'd like to do. And so I, uh, I'm so grateful for that. I was able to spend another two and a half weeks in Salto this last December by myself. Uh, I, uh, my wife is such a good helper. She, I, would, I would never be able to cram all those tracks and John and Romans and Bibles in my luggage, but she helped me. She's a good, not only is she pretty, she's a real help to me too. So she helped me to take all those down there, and I, I was going down there, and I was able to preach to some folks there and teach some people. And uh, there's a, I don't know if you've ever been in a Latin American type city, but they have a, they have a place, they have a plaza, and then near that they've got a, a market, like, it would be close to what our flea market is, they call it a feria. And then people just go there every week to buy their stuff, because it's cheaper than the stores. And I, and I don't know how many thousands of people go through that place, but uh, I taught five people who were Christian about how to lead someone to the Lord with John and Romans. And we got some tracks out, and we talked to over 200 people. I'm just so excited to have the privilege to serve the Lord and to be able to see things other people don't see. And I'm so grateful to be doing that. We, uh, while I was down there, I was also able to preach on the radio. I was able to spend two hours on the uh, local radio station there in Salto. I don't know how large... Their radius is there, but they're not big cities, and you, you have about 300,000 people within the core, you know, between the Argentine side and the Uruguayan side of Salto. 
So I, I praise the Lord for that. I've been able to send some radio messages, and I don't know if you're familiar with the show Unshackled. I've been able to find some Spanish Unshackled to send it to him. So there's some gospel preaching, gospel messages getting to Uruguay now, and I just thank the Lord for that. Uh, another thing God did was this last December when I went down, you saw that building, and I was able to talk specifically with those owners just to see, would you allow us to, to use this to preach to people, and could we live on that, that parsonage side? And they have given that to us when we get down there. So it's just a question of us getting down there. Um, we sold our house and most of our possessions in 2016 in preparation for the move to Uruguay. Uh, we started deputation September and we're currently over 95% support and we're trusting the Lord will be in the city of Salto by September. God uh, has allowed me and my two kids to become Uruguayan citizens. We have Uruguayan passports. My wife will become one as well after we get down there. And uh, it also gives us the opportunity to stay. I know some of you may know some of the ugly things that are happening in Venezuela today. Uh, Uruguay is also socialist, and if things take a turn for the worse, some of those missionaries have had to leave. We, we won't have to if things uh, go the same way. Uh, we have another blessing. We're able to take, because they would call me, my dad's Uruguayan, they would call me a, a returning citizen. So because of that, I can take down our things one time duty-free. Uh, one pastor early on on deputation challenged me to take down enough John and Romans to cover that every household in the city, and we're doing that. We're, uh, we, we've raised funds, and good people have gotten behind that and invested in getting John and Romans to Salto. We have enough John and Romans to get every household in the city of Salto, and we're going to do that when we get down there. And I'm so excited to give the gospel to people who've never heard the gospel. Isn't that good? So another thing God did, uh, I'm able to, the vehicles are really expensive there. Duty is high, and so one church took it upon themselves. We, we have kind of special needs for a vehicle because gas is even more expensive than Vancouver. Did you know that was possible? That's hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah, so it's, it's expensive there, so I wanted something that would be good on fuel, and I wanted something that obviously could fit a lot of people in it. I know in, in some countries it doesn't matter how many seats they are, they'll just cram them in anyway, but I wanted, uh, I, maybe I'll do the same, but I wanted more seats so that I could take more people. And that very, really narrowed down what I could take. The other thing is they, they only have manual transmissions there, um, so I had a very narrow selection, and one, one church took it upon themselves and said, we'd like to buy you a vehicle so you can go minister to people there. But I just praise the Lord for that. So we have a, so that leaves me needing a sea container to ship my stuff. And I, uh, I don't often, I don't know, we don't ask for stuff. In our last prayer letter, we asked for, that the Lord would pray, just lead us to a container. I, I don't know that we've ever asked for anything else other than to help John and Romans get in the hand of the Uruguayans. But somebody within a couple weeks told us, a pastor actually in, in, uh, in Orleans, in uh, Nevin, uh, Ontario, said, we're done with construction from our building. You can have our sea can. And I thought, well, that's great, but I'm in Winkler. And that, the, I looked at the prices to get a sea can shipped, and it was, it was over four grand. So I thought, well, that, I can buy a sea container. Anyway, something awesome happened. We had a man from our church. He was coming back empty, and it, it turned, like, within hours, I got a, a phone call at midnight to be able to bring a sea container back, and, I, and he said, I, the, the truck is coming back today. This is, this is midnight, Thursday night, Friday morning. Uh, if you can get somebody to lift that sea container out of the way this morning, then it's yours. And I thought, how is that going to happen halfway around the country? Uh, and so I called that pastor. I woke him up at one in the morning, and I said, hey, brother, sorry to wake you up. This is uh, kind of urgent. So one time, it's a long shot, and, but I'd like, uh, I'd like you to know that if we can get that sea can lifted onto a truck today, I can take it. And he said, well, that's great, but it's full of stuff. 
I didn't know you needed it today. And, uh, and the other thing is, it's, it's in the back of our church property. Nobody wants to see a sea container, so it's covered with dirt, and it's, it's stuck in the mud. We, and it's way back. You need a big crane just to pick it up and move it over. So he called and called, and nobody could move this. You know, it's Friday morning. Come on. And so every crane company is saying, you're crazy, and no, we don't have a crane that size, and we, don't, we certainly couldn't have one that quick. Last company called says, actually, we've got a crane leaving Ottawa on its way to Orleans. We'll stop in on the way. And uh, the rest is history. It was, it was around noon that day that God put that sea can on that truck. And so I just think that's exciting to see God. Like, the, the truck driver was stopped for the night seven minutes from the church. It just, you know... By coincidence, you know, God, God took care of that, and God did that. So I'm excited to hear when God does those things. Um, I was talking with uh, Brother Tim uh, earlier about some uh, sign language mistakes that people do over the years. You know, being a missionary takes some humility, because learning a language will make mistakes. Maybe some people here can relate, just learning languages over the years. My wife, my wife once, she was ordering, even in Spanish, depending on where you're speaking Spanish, they speak Spanish differently. She was ordering breakfast in Mexico, and she wanted uh, bacon, or, uh, grapefruit juice, and beans, which in Uruguay is panceta, jugo de pomelo, and porotos. But in Mexico, they don't know what that is. In Mexico, they call it jugo de toronja, um, frijoles, and uh, tocino. Thank you. My wife's Mexican is better than mine. And so, you know, even going within different, the same language, different countries, sometimes you can get tripped up. I know one missionary who was ministering in Mexico. It's funny getting to know missionaries. He, uh, he, was, he had a church coming to visit, and he, he was an American. He was learning English, or sorry, learning Spanish. He, he was probably learning English too, but uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, was, he was preaching to the folks, and he wanted to thank the visiting church, and he said, Estoy agradecido por los... Uh, adulteros, uh, adulteros y que, que what he wanted to say is adultos y jóvenes. He said, I'd like to welcome the adulterers and the youth that came to church today. <laughs> so sometimes learning a new language can be fun. And uh, you, learn, you learn different things. Sometimes you learn them the hard way. And, uh, and that's okay because, you know, oftentimes, I was just talking with uh, Brother Tim, oftentimes people will be gracious. You know, I say that because I think as a missionary you really need humility because you're going to blow it. And I think in our Christian life, we need humility because we're going to blow it. And I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about failure. I'm talking about, man, I wish I didn't do that. I wish, I wish I'd have done that better. And I just, I am so impressed when I see the scriptures. There was a, uh, there was a young man years ago called uh, John G. Patton. And I'll just read a story about him. He was a young man of faith who knew he needed to go to the islands of the cannibals to reach them for Christ. An older man called Mr. Dixon cried out publicly against Patton going to the mission field. The cannibals! You will be eaten by cannibals! And the reason he was saying that is because they'd sent missionaries there before. And they got eaten by cannibals. Young Patton replied, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. There to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. He was a man who was humble enough to know I can trust God. There are some things in my life that kind of contradict 
my reasoning, my worldly thinking about what's right and what I should do with my life. I was talking to someone earlier about a place that used to send out missionaries. They don't do that anymore like they used to. And people wanted to go there because they wanted to go somewhere and do something for God. And it didn't matter what it cost. And I want to have that attitude. And we want to have that attitude, don't we? Don't we want to do something for the Lord that matters? Don't we, at the end of our life, want to look back and say, man, I'm glad I didn't waste my time doing something else. And that was John Patton's attitude, and I want that to be my attitude, I want that to be our attitude. And I really think there's some, there's some men who I've looked up to in, in uh, recent days, and I, I'm not really talking about this today, but I've seen them fail, unfortunately. And I, and I think if, if pride wasn't much, as much of a factor, they wouldn't have fallen. And I think we as Christians need to... No one can get saved until they get to the place where they say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I can't do this on my own. I've been trying to live my life without you and it's not working. I can't trust my eternal soul into my own hands. I need you. You know, that's a good attitude and that's the only attitude we can have to be saved. There's nothing I can do to be saved. There's not living good enough that I can do to be saved. But I can say, Lord, I need you. And our God is so good that he looks at a sinful soul like you or like me and he says, I, I can handle that. I can deal with that. I can forgive that. And not only does he forgive us, he invites us into the family. And after we're saved, we really need to continue that attitude, not to keep our salvation, but just to have God guide us. You know, I, uh, when we had our children, it wasn't enough that they were born. I, I wish my kids were here. I, I really think... <laughs> I think I'm the least impressive person in my family. I really do. I have a wonderful wife. I have great, I have a great, I have great children. The reason they're not here is because they're out serving the Lord somewhere else. And I thank the Lord for that. I wish you could meet them. But the Lord wants us to be in a place where we say, God, could you lead me? God, could you guide me? I, I'm really impressed when I look at um, Paul's own testimony looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. This, to me, this is so powerful because this is Paul just opening up his heart. And talking about what God can use. And God can use people who are just yielded and say, Lord, uh, I'm not much, but whatever I am, you can use. Lord, I don't have much, but whatever I have, you're welcome to it. Because you can do a better job with it than I can. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, the apostle finishes this chapter talking about basically humility in a, gentle, in a general sense, and then he starts making it personal in chapter 2. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called... It's 1 Corinthians 1.26, if you're not there. And in verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no glory should, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. This is what I love. He gives us a bit of an introduction there, and then he starts getting personal. 
This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, who can we look up to in the Bible, you know, especially us Gentiles, I don't know if there's any Jewish people here, but the majority of us can be awfully grateful for what the Apostle Paul did and his ministry. And so here he is getting very personal about himself in chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Did you catch that? In weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Have you ever been scared? Have you ever been so scared you trembled? Have you ever been provoked by God to talk to someone about Jesus Christ and you didn't do it because you were scared and fearful? Have you ever been in a situation where you knew you should do right, but you just struggled and said, I, I can't. I can't. I love the Apostle Paul is showing us the greatness of our God here. Because he's telling me, I was there. And I was fearful. And he's talking to people who know him personally. These are people who have sat down to eat with Paul, who've heard his stories, who've worked with him. He said, when I was with you, I was fearful. And you know it. And I was trembling. And I was weak. Sometimes I didn't know what to say. And praise the Lord, God doesn't need <laughs> amazing people. God just needs simple, yielded people. I, I love the Apostle Paul. He, he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I believe that. I believe that he looked at himself and said, I'm not much, but what I am, God can use. God, would you use me? Would you have that attitude? Would I have that attitude and say, Lord, I sure want you to use me. I sure want to be used by thee. And I know that if you do, you can do something great in my life. Micah 6, 8, oh, you don't have to turn there, but it says, you know, humility is necessary to please God. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. You know, think, I think of the Bible, and for those of you who know, know these Bible stories, great. You know, I'm, I'm not going to spend time there. But you think of the woman at the well. Jesus went up to Samaria and talked to a woman, and not a very good woman, if I can say that, morally. And he talked to her, and that woman planted seeds of salvation in the city of Samaria. And then Philip came back to preach, and there was seeds sown by somebody who I never would have chosen as the person to reach Samaria for Christ. God uses unlikely people, and I love that. Look at, uh, you know, Stephen and Philip. When I look in the Bible, I know Philip is called an evangelist, but before that, I think they were, I think they don't call them deacons in the book of Acts, but elsewhere in the scriptures, I think they were just deacons. Before that, they were just asked to serve tables. They didn't have a special calling. They were just workers in the church. Somebody who serves tables, somebody who's Maybe vacuums the carpet, somebody who sweeps the floor, somebody who does a work at the church. And those people were used to witness publicly and change the hearts of people for Christ. Why? Because it wasn't just that they wanted to be working busy, it's that they said, Lord, would you use me? And God did. He used simple people. I, I, I look in, in Acts chapter 8, it wasn't the apostles that left Jerusalem, 
It says that the apostles stayed, and it was all the others that got scattered, and that's who spread the gospel. You know who's going to spread the gospel in Surrey and the greater Vancouver area? It's right here. I'm looking at them. God is going to use regular people, normal people, to preach his word everywhere. The disciples were, they, they called them unlearned and ignorant men. They were never men of great riches. You know, I think also, I'll, I'll give you some, uh, I guess, some trivia. Who, whom did God use when he fed the 5,000? Do you remember? 5,000 men and little boy, yeah, a little lad is what the Bible says. And to top it off, it's in, in, if you look in the book of John, it says five small loaves and two, or sorry, five rye loaves and two little fishes. Rye was the cheapest of, uh, of it was much cheaper than wheat. Anyway, God used a little boy. Now, in the Old Testament, whom did God use to feed his people? This is a tough question now. Yeah, it's because it doesn't have an answer. He didn't use anyone. He just fed people, because that's what he does. So what does that teach me about God using a little lad? He, he just delights in using us. And, he's some, and he'll use people who we don't expect to be used of God just to spite our worldly thinking. You know, I, I went, when I went to Bible college, I'd see other guys in my class, and I'd wonder, where are they going to be in five years? What are they going to be doing in ten years? Brother Soren, I wonder where you're going to be in ten years. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm excited about what these people on, on the walls are doing. And we ought to be excited about what God's doing even here. We need to be humble for God to use us. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. We need to be people who are uh, surrendered to the Lord. Is there, uh, is there just, and I, I'm talking to myself, it's, you know, preaching about humility is probably the hardest thing, because you're, you're talking as if you've mastered it. But, and, I'm, and I haven't. But can we just get ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, you're smarter than I am? You know what to do with my life better than I do and better than my thoughts. Whatever I've got going on in my life, Lord, you can have it because you'll do better than I ever could. And that's the attitude I want as a Christian. And if you can't think of a time where you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, what would be more important than your eternal soul and more valuable to hold it back? Thank you, Pastor.